Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Folks, I just have to pop in with some scrambled thoughts about Black Lives Matter and the race riots that are happening in the US at the moment. Like many of you, my heart bleeds and you're about to hear a conversation about diversity and inclusion, yet I sometimes feel we're getting further apart. And it's not just the US. Australia and others grapple with real equality and inclusion in all manner of ways, whether it's race, gender, culture and more. So I'm not sure how to close out my thoughts on this. I certainly don't have the answer. I just wanted to acknowledge what's going on. So thank you for being here and for caring. Let's reach out and do whatever we can to acknowledge, to bridge and to include. Let's do what we can to be part of a future that is more equal, compassionate and inclusive. Now, on with the show. It's about diversity and inclusion, so there might be some good food for thought in these times. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Rhonda Brighton-Hall about culture, diversity, change and what makes a good chair. Rhonda is a director of Making Work Absolutely Human and she writes and speaks for the Australian Institute of Company Directors. In fact, I heard her speak at the recent AICD Governance Summit and couldn't get near her afterwards because there were so many people surrounding her wanting to ask questions. So I sent her a tweet and she very kindly agreed to join us here on the podcast and share her wisdom. She is a former board member of the Australian Institute of Human Resources and she currently chairs the Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Committee. She's also a former chair of Flex Careers and a former board member of Aussie Home Loans and Feel the Magic. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Rhonda. Thank you so much, Anya. It's lovely to be here. It's great. And I'm so pleased that I sent you that tweet afterwards so that you could come along. It's just fantastic. I know you're going to have a lot to share with people today. So before we get into culture and diversity and all those fabulous topics that I'm really looking forward to exploring, can you tell us a little bit more about you? Tell us about your upbringing and the lessons that you learned, what you got up to and those leading influences on on you as a child. 
Yeah, I think I love starting there. I love starting there more than tell us about your career because I think there's so much of us that grows from our childhood. I grew up in a family who's historically have been farmers for many generations. And I think that's part of it, apart from the fact that I always get up really early, <laughs> which is in the genes. But apart from that, it also is a very practical and pragmatic sort of way of looking at the world. And I think that's been an important part of who I am and still am. The other part of it is, as a child, I grew up in Wollongong, so I grew up in a normal town. And my father passed away when I was only eight. And so I grew up in a quite a, a single parent family with a mum for a number of years before my mother remarried. But in that time, I think uh, I grew up in quite a space where we didn't have all the gender schemas and we didn't have all the way of looking at things. So I think that that's probably the two big influences in my life of being this almost matriarchal view. I had two very stoic and serious grandmothers and I had a mother who looked after everything and so that was that matriarchal side to me and then there was this pragmatism of farming and and sort of growing up in in an environment where you just get over yourself and get on with it. (laughs) I think that's sort of how I am. I'm I'm not a very very rarely do I see or I'll participate in drama. You know, both of those things, get over it and get on with it and don't participate in the drama, is already fantastic advice for board members. <laughs> I think that's true. You sort of keep your eye on the ball and where you can add value, where you can do things that are practical and helpful as opposed to getting caught up in things that go in circles. And it's it's so interesting reflecting on on that childhood and by the sounds of things kind of like a your strong mother in that. I hear it so often from women who are on this podcast about those strong women that were in their lives from an early age and often it's their mother. It's it's a common theme by the sounds of things. Yeah, I actually, I wrote a blog a few years ago uh, in 2017 that went really brilliantly everywhere and it was just an open letter to my daughters and it was just saying things like, you know, gender schemas are for somebody else, just ignore them. Yes. When, in thinking about children and dealing with children, it's, it's those attributes in them when they're children about being strong-willed and doing things outside the box and all of those things that drive you completely nuts as a parent, but they are the exact skills that you really value in them when they become an adult. So the more frustrating they are as a child, the more amazing they will be as an adult. (laughs) Very, very true. (laughs) So then today we want to talk about culture, about diversity, change, what makes a good chair. There are so many things in there that are important for boards. So let's start with culture. Culture is certainly more and more on the agenda for boards to think about, and particularly since the Financial Services Royal Commission. And I think boards are really grappling with that and what they should be doing and what their role in culture is. What what have you learned and what's your advice to boards uh, giving your work in this area and working with boards globally? I'm really quite optimistic around the current state of board's understanding of culture because I'm seeing more and more very traditional directors, traditional chairs asking much more thoughtful questions. Um, Even if you go back about five years or so, I'd been living overseas for a number of years in the Netherlands and in the US and when I came back I was quite surprised at the way Australian boards tend to look at culture and it's in all little pieces of a jigsaw but not really bringing them together. And so you sort of sit in a boardroom, here's the presentation on diversity, and that takes 20 minutes because it's very efficient. And then you have another day, you have 20 minutes on talent, and that's very interesting. And then you have 20 minutes on the engagement scores. And, And so all these little staccato pieces of a jigsaw never really come together, and yet they 
are hugely important to each other. And it's only when you see all the pieces together that you can start to really understand culture. And so I think that that's only just started to happen as we've got boards. And some of it's been driven by fear. I mean, you and I have talked before about that financial services Royal Commission really opened people's eyes and said, this is actually how impactful culture can be. And we really need better ways of looking at it, understanding it, measuring it, mapping it, whatever you want to call it, so that we do have genuine insights at a board level and we can actually take some oversight, overseeing role as to the culture of an organisation, how powerful it can be. So for boards, what have you seen from boards or directors that really works well in that measuring and mapping of culture? Because often we will hear about the culture survey, yet I think there is so much more to really measuring and mapping culture than that. What should boards be on the lookout for? I think what we need to start with is just to put the engagement scores, which is normally what boards are looking at, in their place, Mm -hmm. because they are a product of the 1990s where the people side, the human capital side, whatever you want to call it, of a business, was driven by productivity and business cases. It was the birth of Lean Six Sigma and all these things. And in a side that, well, how can we get people to be important? We'll measure them. And so the only thing that engagement actually correlates to today is productivity. And so that's one measure of a culture. It's not the only one you're going to need. And so the Royal Commission taught us that most of the companies, if not all, actually, I think it was all of the companies that went into that Royal Commission had an engagement score above 82%. So that tells us that it tells us nothing much about culture. It just is an interesting number. Mm-hmm. When you're looking for a board and what they should be looking for, you need some understanding of how people are lined up together. Like, are they on the same page with your purpose? They're on the same page with how you want to treat clients and culture. Do they set the same expectations about how they treat each other? It's a much more distributed or democratic way of looking at the relationships in the business than just what is the guy at the top or the woman at the top saying. It's actually what are people actually treating each other and how are they coming together? The second thing that they should be looking for is where decisions are actually made. And so where decisions are actually made is this, who do you go to for a decision? Who do you go to when things need to happen? Who can make things happen around here? That little list of key players in your organisation is really fascinating because Most executives will say, oh, that will be the CEO, our risk manager, our finance person. And actually, when you get that list of names, it's very, very, very rarely is it anyone on the executive at all. And they'll be distributed around your business, but there'll be big bubbles of people. So you'll find one person in that division who everybody knows is the go-to person to make things happen and make decisions. So that who makes decisions, where does the power sit in an organisation will actually tell you where the branches or the divisions of your business that are actually falling away or not being aligned, where they're actually aligned and who they're aligned to is a really powerful piece of data. And then there's a whole bunch of things that we always recommend people start with, which is your pipeline of people who come in, where do they come from, people who go out, where do they go to, who's in the business, your diversity data is will tell you who can get in and who can do well and who moves up your pipeline but equally who can't get in and where do they stop? And so, you know, we've worked with businesses, for example, where 85% of their CEO and CEO minus one and two, which is a very tippy top of a company, 85% of them have come into those roles from outside the business. And if you've got 85% of your most senior leaders coming from outside, you've got very little of your grassroots culture ever getting to the top. 
And, and that's a really interesting diagnostic because you sort of go, why is that and what does it mean? Mm. Do the people at the top really see the people in the rest of the organisation? Oh, there's so many things I want to explore there. I just want to go back to that second point about where decisions are made for a moment. Two things there. How in practice, because I remember you saying that at the Australian Government Summit and for people who listen to the podcast regularly, you will know that I noted that in my summary of the Australian Government Summit when I did the podcast about it. So I'm interested in two things there. One, how you actually map that. Do you just go out and ask people about it? But secondly... I mean, I think having that distributed model of power is actually incredibly powerful for organisations. You don't want to hear, oh, the CEO has all of the power or the exec suite or whoever it may be. You'd actually want to hear that the organisation has that distributed power model because that th there's no other way an organisation can really operate. It's much more sustainable if yeah. everyone's on the same page. It's only when you, when you pick it up, you sort of go, okay, isn't this interesting that this this division where we have a whole lot of exits or we have a whole lot of bullying claims or we have a whole lot of whatever it happens to be that isn't good, it's interesting that they've got different decision makers and a different alignment than the rest of the organisation. That's when you start to say actually all those things link together. Yeah, it's such a powerful thing to ask and to find out about. You then talked about of course, diversity and inclusion and how to get people through the organisation and the opportunities and who gets in and who doesn't. In a board sense, there's two sides to this that I'd love to explore. A, how do boards find out about their organisations and how diverse and inclusive they are? But secondly, for boards themselves, how can we showcase inclusiveness in the boardroom? They're both really important questions, aren't they? Because if you've got a board that doesn't actually look like society or the community yeah. serve or whatever then you really when you get into social license to operate they're going to be quite many blind spots to it so that's a bit of a problem but to take your first question how do they get to diversity there is obviously the traditional angles of diversity which are gender generational age cold cultural and linguistic diversity lgbti uh, disability there's a set that we always look at aboriginal torres strait islanders so that those things are recognized important aspects of diversity in our community and they should be in your company too so you're sort of measuring who's in in your organization how they move up in those categories the second thing though the one thing that they have in common and why diversity becomes important socially is socioeconomic diversity now we have for a long time been working with what we call a privilege index and the way that we built that was via uh, appreciative inquiry and then mapping against boards and also senior executive teams or C-suite in Australian listed companies. And then we took it across to government departments as well. There's a very high correlation between a privilege score in Australia and a number of factors. There's 10 factors that absolutely correlate to the top of organisations, government, public, private, doesn't really matter. What's fascinating about those things that, that, is that if your board or your organisation is made up of just the people who are very top, tippity top of the privilege index, you're really missing a lot of society and it, it will make it difficult for you to be as creative as you need to be or as thoughtful on where society goes or what's the next thing that you should be looking at. When you see teams of people or organisations that have got socioeconomic diversity, they're really starting to shift the dial about their role in society. They become much more relevant, much more connected. I think it's a very, very powerful score and it's not one that's used often enough. But every single time we've used it, the board and the senior team is sitting at eight, nine or 10 out of 10 and the 10 scores, the direct reports to that group 
are sitting 7.5. Even your people supervisors are often 5 out of 10, which means you've literally got a huge number of people that just don't even see the light of day in terms of being a people leader in most organisations unless they've been born with a certain degree of privilege. Now, does that mean it's bad to have privilege? No. We always look at privilege as if you have a lot of privilege, you have an opportunity to change things. You have more, you know the rules of the game. You've been coached on how networks work and everything from childhood. You know how to bring people up. You can actually reach down. You can do very different things than if you don't understand the rules of that game. We see privilege as an opportunity and the question for boards is how are you using it? Hi, folks. It's Helia. I just wanted to pop in here to say, well, happy birthday to us. I launched Take On Board in June 2019, so it's our birthday month. Back then, I gave myself 12 months of doing this show to assess. I wasn't sure then, and I'm not entirely sure now, how to assess it. It might be the number of listens, or how you rate us in your favourite podcast app, or what you say in your reviews, or whether you've joined and are interacting in the Take On Board Facebook group, or even whether you've contacted me for a chat or to give feedback. So I'm here to ask you for a special take on board birthday present. Could you do one of these things? Could you share this podcast with your board colleagues or a friend and ask them to subscribe? If you're listening for the first time today, could you subscribe to hear more of the tips, tricks and stories? If you haven't yet done a rating, could you do one? It's super simple to do in most of the podcast apps. Just scroll down in your app and you'll find it. Could you write a review? They're a bit more challenging to find and they're different in all of the podcast apps. But if you could take the time to do it, I would love that. Could you join us in the Facebook group? Could you start a conversation in the Facebook group? Just search Take On Board in Facebook and come and join the conversation there. Or perhaps just get in touch with me and let me know what you think. I've had some fabulous conversations with Take On Board listeners who have got in touch. And a shout out to Anna Pullinger, who I think was the first to do so and still warms my heart to think of our interaction. So that's it from me for now. Happy birthday to all of us. And thank you so much for being part of it and being on the journey with me. Now, back to the show. You've got a tool to map the privilege index of organisations and of boards. How do you do that? Tell me about that. Ten really simple questions and the answers are literally, with this one, it's a very simple index. So it's literally yes and no answers to ten questions that we know correlate to to privilege in Australian corporate society. So we literally go, what's your score out of ten? And then what we would do with a group of people is say, okay, the average in your executive team is eight and a half. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's, That's high. So who else is in your pipeline? And when you're looking at your talent mapping and things like that, what does that look like? Right. And so for those organisations that take it on, is the, the, the idea is to then bring in people who are not so high on the privilege index to build that diversity. And how do they do that? What you're looking at is your accessibility of your organisation. So I'll give you a really good example. A client that had a really good graduate program and they're saying, oh, we've got graduates coming in. They're all very diverse and very different. One of the tiny questions that was in amongst their graduate questions was have you done volunteering? And there was a bias towards people who've done international volunteering. Now, that question in and of itself will wipe out 90% of the population because if you're a normal kid in a normal school or you're at normal uni and you've got your own hex fees and you're trying to pay a bit off with that summer job and all this sort of jazz, then 
going on an international volunteering habitat or whatever it happened to be, all wonderful organisations, but that's not even an option. You don't have $10,000 to pay for an airfare in your accommodation in Cambodia. You literally are working really hard all summer to get back to uni, so you've got some money in your pocket. So that tiny question, which sounded like, well, isn't that great? These are great young people who are giving up their summers to go and volunteer. That's true, but very few people would have that opportunity. It often strikes me as exactly that when we're looking at opportunities or volunteering or whatever it may be. Often kids or adults are just working. They're not volunteering. They need to work. So might be, you know, working down at the local supermarket or whatever it may be. And that is, that is valuable experience as well and often just what needs to happen. And when you also see the other thing that happens with the privilege index is a fascinating conversation suddenly happens. So you've got an executive team or a board that are all, you know, at a certain level of privilege, might be eight, nine out of 10, it usually is. Mm. Um, The average for all our organisations added together is 8.5. So it's very high. And so all of a sudden you'll have one person in that team that's at three. And all of a sudden they say, wow, tell us about your experience. And suddenly this person who for all intents and purposes has been doing their job brilliantly, has never had an issue, always fitted into the group, is suddenly telling them stories that they've never heard. And those stories will actually be more likely to be normal stories of normal people than the other ones that people are used to living around that table. And I think it just lets you have a little bit of a window into the community that you're serving and and the clients and customers that each organisation works for. So with boards using that privilege index, have you seen boards really change their makeup as a result of that? If so, how did they do it? I've seen them think about it. And so what happens then is the next time they pick someone, that will be a question they start to ask. And so instead of going, you know, I really don't care where they went to school. I only care that they got a Bachelor of Law from Sydney Uni or something like that. Mm. They start to go, wow, this person's got that, but they've also come from this background. That's very interesting. That's a different combination. So they're starting to look deeper into the history of the person a little bit. Now, it, it doesn't mean that it's always we need every type of diversity. We have to be a perfect quilt every single time. But mm. even that conversation means that when you're saying, let's look at a talent map or something which goes up to the board, who are our successes to our executive team, you're starting to look to pull people into that pool that might not normally have been considered in there. I would say the same thing if you're talking to groups of people who've got people with disability. They see themselves as absolutely the poorest relation in an organisation. If you start to go, wow, our entire succession plan doesn't have anyone who identifies with disability, that's unusual considering, you know, 15% of the population has some sort of disability. Oh, that is such fantastic insights and advice and what a great tool to have. Is there some information we might be able to put in the show notes about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. We can we can put a bit of a link across to it and have a look. And the other one, when we talked about relationships and, and how you map decision makers and things like that, there's also that where you can sort of go, there's just a couple of questions you need to ask, which will give you a map of where your most energising employees are, where your most connecting employees are, where you, the big decision makers, the people who make things happen. Other questions like, who do you think will do well here? Are surprisingly accurate. People can look around their graduate cohort and say, I think it's going to be that person. And it will be someone that's so highly correlated to people who are already at the top. It's not funny. And so just those questions create a different conversation and different understanding of how we work together. Oh, I love it. That is fantastic. I'm looking forward to having a bit more of a look into that as well. 
Thinking about diversity and inclusion, and particularly in the boardroom, one of the key things that I hear from people and that that certainly I know as well is that the person in the chair, literally in the chair and in the chair role, is key to having a cohesive, cohesive might not even be the right word, because often if there is diversity, there is actually less cohesiveness, and that's a powerful thing too, but an effective boardroom, let's put it that way. So what makes a great chair? What, what can they do to make a really great difference? I think there's a, a couple of things that when you see a really great chair, and I've had the pleasure of working with a few, is people have absolute respect for them, but not fear. And so as soon as you see someone who rules a little bit with fear, and you do see that a lot in a lot of boards, is uh, then you'll shut down any use or in leverage of inclusion or diversity that you could have had. And so that sort of personality of a leader is someone who can control time and the efficiency because these are important people and they're all in the room for a short period of time, but at the same time is allowing for a conversation, is allowing space. And often they'll also sort of bring the conversation out. They'll be looking for people who haven't participated and say, look, you know, I'm really interested in your view. I haven't heard from you for a while. I know that this is a topic you love. Would you like to speak? And so they're actually inviting different people into the conversation constantly so that it's not just uh, whenever we do this topic, that's those two people. Or whenever we do that topic, it's the different two people. It's actually hearing different voices on different topics and also challenging the people around the boardroom to know what they're talking about. You know, I think that, you know, the number of times you'll hear a conversation around uh, the future of work and they'll suddenly say, the future of work is all gig economy. And you go, well, statistically, that would not be true. So if you're challenging people, instead of saying the future is a gig economy, they say, why do you think that? And where's that data point from? And I think the board should hold themselves to account and a good chair will do that with a a velvet glove, but still clearly, and sort of not just let people give an opinion that's baseless and, and move on. They're actually, where did that come from? Help us understand. Can we all get to know that? Can we read it? I think a good board is one where people are learning, open, looking for different data points, knowing their topics, and not just giving random opinions on things. And, you know, sometimes on boards the chair is not as open as we would like them to be and not as inviting as the person you're describing or the, the, that role in the chair. Have you got any advice for board members in, I guess, back leading some of that diversity and inclusion when the chair might not be as open to things? Um, certainly if you've been in a board for a while and your relationship with the chair and the rest of the team is actually in pretty good shape and you, you've formed relationships away from the boardroom too, I think, you know, the simple catch-ups and things like that become very important but I think when you hold a position and you've been there for a little while you've got much more of an opportunity to do the role like if if you can say things okay the chair's not including people you could say look we haven't heard from Helia for a while I'd love to hear your view on that I know that you've got some great background on this topic so you can invite other people in and start to be a person who knits people together and that's what we see in normal teams every day but something about the boardroom becomes more artificial than that. So when we start to look at culture of an organisational culture for a team or a division or something like that, we're always looking at what are the relationships that matter? Not necessarily who's in charge, but who's actually gluing people together, who's making people feel like they belong here, who's asking the questions and making people feel like they can add value. Because when we talk about a feeling of belonging, it's a feeling of we absolutely have the confidence and, and we want to give our best. But there's, we always look at elements like the purpose of work, sure, 
We look at things like relationships, absolutely. But the two things we don't talk enough about are the agency you have over your work and the way that you can do it. And in a board, that's very important to say, I'm going to bring in a piece of information that I think the board could learn from that I've just discovered that's really valuable. That's a value add into the room, not just I turn up and do what I'm told and I walk away again and the rules have been set five years ago and I'm going to hold them. That agency to add something, to do something a little bit differently. And the fourth thing we don't talk nearly enough about in leadership but also in the, in the boardroom is this accountability. You know, I, you know, I still am flabbergasted to walk into a board or a senior team for that matter where you'll see someone okay we've had these papers everybody's read them we've turned up ready to participate and you'll see someone oh I've had a really tough week and I didn't get to read them and you're like wow (laughs) at a bare minimum you turn up sort of accountable and and there's a way in a really good team you're actually holding people to account you're holding accountability and expectation that we all perform well and do our best And so when you get a really good team where people absolutely belong and feel confident to speak up, you're talking about purpose relationships, agency, and also accountability and expectation, not just you turn up, but you turn up good. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting reflection around, you know, particularly for the role of the chair, that the authority role versus leadership and everybody in that boardroom should be able to show some form of leadership in asking the prompting question, whatever it may be, whether it's about bringing people in or about the substance of what's on the agenda of that board meeting. And in fact, if board members can't do that, then one would wonder why they're in the boardroom anyway. So many fabulous things. So we've covered off on a huge amount of wonderful tips for board members. What are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I would love to continue this change we're seeing at the moment where I want board members and senior leaders to be deeply interested in culture, not some rhetoric about, you know, oh, people are my most important asset, but actually why and how do they come together and what do I know about the relationships and what numbers am I looking at? What data points am I using? Not hypothesizing, but genuinely understanding the culture of your organization and the time it takes to do that. I would take take away those silly 20-minute presentations that are like a puppet show of rehearsed information and actually say we've got three hours and we're going to talk about culture every six months for three hours because it's so important and in that three hours we'll absolutely have these three or four data sets that we look at whether it be belonging or privilege or diversity or or relationships or decision making get those data points and then say we've got this space to have a conversation about how they correlate and how they move together And that way you can see that they do map together. When we look at things like bullying and harassment, as we can tell you almost to a a high degree of accuracy whether a bullying claim will be found by looking at the data around it. When you look at all these data points, you've got high exits, you've got high redundancies without cause, you've got strange people making decisions and power. You've got all these data points that the bullying claim needs that environment to survive in and they almost always go together. So I would say the most important thing, it's a long answer, but the most important thing is the time to get the right information and the time to have the conversation about it. Absolutely. Yeah, having that that real understanding and wrestling with some of the information that is in there. And is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? It could be a book or a TED Talk or a podcast or anything. Is there a resource you'd like to share? 
Well, I've done a TED talk and I've written a lot in this. So quite aside from that, though, the one thing I would say to leaders just to think differently about how people come together culturally, because we still talk about individual leadership. We still talk about individuals engagement. If we want to understand the collective, there's a book called The Power of Others by a guy called Michael Bond. It takes you a couple of hours to read. It's a psychology book, so I apologise for that, but it is a really good way to encapsulate the fact that we are not just when we come to work one person, good, bad or indifferent. We're actually having a massive impact on each other and it's when we understand our impact on each other, whether that be at the micro level like inside a boardroom or at the macro level like the culture of an organisation, that's what we're talking about, our impact on each other. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll make sure we share a link to both your TED Talk and the um, that book in the show notes so people can find it easily. That is fantastic. And if there was one action, one task you could give board members to do around all of this, what would be the one thing you would ask people to do? Uh, make sure that you have the information to have the conversation about culture. And when you don't have it, keep asking until you do. Oh, that is fabulous. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure people can can tell that when I heard you speak at that conference, they knew exactly now, having heard more of what you've got to say, why it was that I sent you a message immediately afterwards and said, please come on the Take On Board podcast. Oh, thank, thank you so much. much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. Absolutely my pleasure. And I hope this conversation just keeps getting more and more embedded in the way we think about organisations. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.